Hello and welcome. My name is Leah Barber and you're listening to Next Gen Femme, a podcast dedicated to celebrating women's achievements, being in business, sports, STEM or the arts. We speak to women that persevered through ups and downs to pursue their passions. Out of the corner of my eye was a male flag at the back of the function hall and I said, I assumed if there was one or ten, I didn't care, that person was going to be my friend. And I said, (laughs) oh, my male table down there. And next thing, the whole whole table erupted. And I thought, sweet Jesus, I don't know who those are, but they're my friends now. And I must have gotten more photographs with random male people that I'd never met before. (laughs) In episode 12, we speak with MEP Maria Walsh. Born in Boston to two Irish parents, Maria was actually raised in Truel County, Mayo. After college, Maria moved back to America to experience the New York lifestyle, but soon found it wasn't for her. An opportunity presented itself to move to Philadelphia, which became a home away from home. It was here that her unexpected journey began to winning the 2014 Rosa Tralee, which resulted in her balancing life between Ireland and Philadelphia as the International Rose. After her ambassadorial year of being the International Rose, she made the decision to move back to Ireland to make the most of the momentum. Maria takes us on this journey and more as she shares with us how she pursued the prospect of becoming an MEP. All this and more in this next installment of Next Gen Femme. We're excited for you to hear our 12th episode. I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to Next Gen Femme or Next Generation Female, however you'd like to put it. We're back again this week with another episode, episode 12. And myself and Fee, hello Fee. Hello. Dr. Fiona Malone, as I like to call her. <laughs> I pay you every time you say that. Every time I get paid. Every time. Money, money. We're joined this week by the amazing Maria Walsh. Hello, Maria. Hello. Thank you very much. So do delighted I, to I have you. Hear the word amazing there too. I feel like uh, I ain't no doctor, but <laughs> the amazing drop. I appreciate that. It's okay. I'm not a doctor either, but you know. I five for the no doctors. <laughs> yeah. So you're the minority. You weird. You're the minority <laughs> fee in this situation. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so Maria, thanks so much for joining us. Maria is a member of the European Parliament, winner of the Rosa Tralee 2014, and a proud pioneer. That I am, yeah. 20 yeah. years a young of a pioneer. Wow. Yeah, this, this summer, actually. Wow. Mm-hmm. That wasn't today nor yesterday now. As my older brother Kevin calls me, you're just stubborn. You're just being <laughs> thick. That's, you're, you're, uh, because, you know, my three siblings make up for the, the fact that I abstain from alcohol and other substances and have done so since my confirmation. So mm-hmm. my brother's reaction is like, ah, don't she won't drink anything she's just being thick <laughs> well who's laughing now and yeah, yeah, yeah. no it's okay we actually know a few pioneers and teetotalers and all that i'm i myself am a teetotaler and i know and uh, dr fiona does she want uh, to again i am uh, in the minority <laughs> she needed something you to do get... phd you have to yeah, drink I was just about to say she needed nervous. something to get through her phd <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually crying. These are two. <laughs> <laughs> she just takes a shot in the corner of the screen. So, Maria, please introduce yourself to our amazing audience. Tell us your name, your age, if you don't mind, occupation, and an interesting or random fact about yourself. Oh, pressure's on. Name, Maria Walsh. Um, <laughs> full name, Maria and Hanora Walsh. Oh, that's um, interesting. Yes, I'm 32 years young. Um, we probably will discuss what COVID-19 is doing to my life expectancy perhaps later on in this chat <laughs> and and the fact that I'm thinking about life in a different way now at 32 than I was maybe at 22. I very proud male woman I was born in Boston Massachusetts but moved to Shrew when I was uh, on the border between Mayo and Galway when I was seven and then a very interesting fact that I should shamefully not 
tell the world, but I'm going to do it anyways. In 2006, I was on The Underdogs, which is a, a sports show on uh, TG Cahar that uh, was around young women. They, they did a men's program hurling and football, but ours was the first female. So a young woman, a group of women trying to prove themselves to their senior county selectors that they were good enough to be on the county team and unfortunately I wasn't good enough I got eliminated and I got a very unsexy injury where I tore my groin off the bone and that's that's wow. an interesting fact about me resilience but they may have kicked you off the team but that didn't stop you did it they never broke my spirit so uh, <laughs> Quite, quite interestingly, um, I had, I was always interested in, or I just never liked downtime. So when they were setting up for shots and I was trying to figure out what cameramen were doing, but it was, it was more if we weren't training, then there was nothing else really to do. Um, so I had helped them move, you know, camera equipment and stuff like that. And I always just became friends with everybody on the, on the show. And so when I got eliminated, I got asked back as a runner, as a production assistant. And that kicked off my lifespan on working on TV shows and yeah. And it's networking. It's a currency that we don't, as Irish people, I don't think talk enough enough, enough about. Yeah. So if you get kicked off a team, find another, <laughs> find another <laughs> team to get on. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Just pick me. <laughs> yeah, my 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 family used to say, are, "Are you sure you're meant to go? I thought you got eliminated. Are you just showing up and not, you know, just keep showing up and they have to accept you?" And in one sense, maybe that's what kept that's what happened. So if anybody from Adair Productions is listening to this, and then that's what happened. <laughs> Please just keep it to yourself. You may be down, but you're never out. (laughs) (laughs) And the fact that I'm a Mayo person, uh, I've been been to enough places where we've lost and you had to come home. So like, I get it. Like it was. was We are quite relentless as a people. We are quite relentless. I was in Japan for the Rugby World Cup and I saw two Mayo jerseys in the two weeks (laughs) I was in. Tokyo, Japan. <laughs> Some people will make fun of that, and others I'm like, stand an ovation. Well done, lads. You do it for the county. Represent. Yeah. My dad's in mourning right now because COVID 19 is, you know, every Sunday when champions, well, we would do for a lot of leagues games too, but championship season. I should say Saturdays, nights, and, and Sundays was that's that's our jam right now, and there's no championship. So dad is just a little bit lost, uh, as I am. And and when the weather's nice and no football's going on, what in God's gracious do we talk about? Yeah, it's strange. I'm from Kilkenny and we don't know how to do football, but hurling we do. And it's the same. Ah, whatever, Dr. Fiona. Stop rolling it in now. You're, you and your 65 All-Ireland. You don't have to win our sport. But, but uh, yeah, my father's so bored. He pulled uh, two or three trees up out of the garden at home. And like, they're massive trees. And I was like, why are you going to do it now? And he goes, I don't know. I didn't think that far ahead. <laughs> Make curls. That's what you do. Make curls. That's a great one. You can you can suggest that to him. So Maria, the idea of our little podcast is to kind of bring our listeners uh, on a journey with our guests. So we kind of let the the podcast go very free flowing. So we'd like for you to kind of take us on your journey of your career from when you were probably started in well born in Boston you don't have to go back as far as being born in Boston if you don't want to but your journey from being in Boston and then back into to West Ireland and Mayo and then back to Philadelphia and then the Rose of Tralee and then from I guess the Rose of Tralee to the European Parliament so I guess yeah, I sound like a case a, a, a <laughs> case for the United Nations there with all the spots you were naming I know <laughs> 
you've been you've been to many places yeah there's, <laughs> um, there's been a journey <laughs> exactly we're all about journeys here for want of a better word take us on your journey and our <laughs> listeners as well on your journey of your career so far well thank you yes well as i said you know born in born in boston to two irish parents who wanted to raise their family in in ireland and i say that don't worry i won't go too far back of my first steps um but <laughs> I, I think it's really important for listeners to really resonate about my values and my beliefs into who I am and where I came from based off that decision, because I don't I really don't think I'd be the person I am today if I wasn't raised in Ireland. And I don't know if we as Irish people, particularly young Irish people, give our folks or ourselves credit enough to do that. You know, I grew up in a very small village. We moved from a pretty big suburban area just outside Boston City to two shops the post office and the church and the community centre and that's your you know that's where you spent your time so sport became integral volunteerism became instrumental uh, which added you know I remember uh, delivering when I moved to Shrew to my my mum nominated me I don't know why to deliver the pioneer magazines and the messengers so if anybody's listening that's that was my life so I'd be on my bike or walking and you'd be dropping down and collecting the five euro to return back to whomever was was selling it and that's where I got to fall in love with people my dad is a part-time farmer and came from a construction background so when we moved to Shrewl he refused to get a sheepdog for many years so we were the runners so back in the day I was fair fit now not so much another another element to that was you know, he ran a successful construction company in Boston, but wanted to raise us in Ireland. So for five years, he would travel back and forth. So my mom and four kids and eventually my my dad's mother, my, my granny moved in. Yeah, for, for five years, my, my, my dad would come back and forth and we used to get letters or our weekly phone calls with dad. And you never really missed him because he always was around um, in one sense. But I tell you what, it just goes to show you the resilience my mom even had that I was so ignorant of um, back then. But And I tell you all that because in order, I think, for her to keep four children from being shot, hung and quartered and her to keep her mental health in check, <laughs> we were thrown into everything and anything community-based. So cleaning the community centre, church gate collections, helping out in Paddy's Day parades, playing football and soccer. Um, and that kind of kept us on on the loop, but it built a volunteerism grow for, for who we are and what we are. So, and, and that's kind of where, where me quite formed, but I was always headstrong. Being a pioneer was very important to me. Things like that, I guess, differentiated me a little bit from my friends because I was really assured on who I wanted to be and where I wanted to go. But I never knew the final destination. And hopefully over the next wee while we'll discuss that because it's not, I think I heard in, in one of your other previous podcasts where it's not linear. It is a whole lot of circles, back, forward, front. It's 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 a diagram in itself. And um, But that's kind of where resilience gets built and character and confidence along with that. Yeah. And then fast forward a number of years and not only did I represent a couple of different spots as the International Rosa Tralee, but I also now get to represent a little over a million people covering the 13 counties of Midlands Northwest. A first time runner, first time in politics, didn't grow up in a house of politics. My, my last name isn't historical when it comes to politics. Mm-hmm. Most of my family are party, probably a different party than what I ran. And, and I say that because I think it's so important for women in particular that you don't necessarily have to be ingrained in a political system from the get-go. You, you can grow into it. You can find 
your voice within representatives or what I didn't see is the reason I ran is I didn't see someone who could who I felt would depict my voice so hence the reason why I put my name up but yeah now unfortunately for for those a little over a million they're stuck with me for well nearly <laughs> we're coming on a year now nearly um so another four years sorry about that last <laughs> you mentioned you were brought up in the west of ireland and stuff but there was a point there where you went back to philadelphia i've heard so what yeah. brought you like from being born in boston then to west ireland what brought you to back to philadelphia yeah so i always had a passion to return to the to the states so i always had I want to live in New York City and for no other reason other than to get my derriere kicked. I had this weird complex with New York that if I go, I'll be able to really learn who I am and where I'm going in a very short period of time. Like I remember landing in JFK Airport, my suitcase in hand and, and the mayo uh, bunting around the bag. So I knew it was my bag, you know. And I know people are listening to this going, I am that person. I know that. I just, <laughs> But I, I remember going, if I, I'm giving it two years and then I'm out of here, I just needed two years to get, and realistically, just to get my derriere kicked. To, to give you a little bit of reason where I got to there was I had studied journalism and visual media in Griffith. Because of my underdog experience, I got exposed to productions really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had started studying journalism and we are, we are filming the underdogs. So even on my first day of, of college, I had already had a production experience. So all through my three years, you know, I was, I was working on different shows or I was PA to a doctor in the Galway clinic. I was waitressing up in my, my local restaurant in a guest house over the road and helping out a little bit in March. So I was always really, I, I, I identified myself with work so much. Mm-hmm. Um, which then brought me to a hunger of trying to prove myself somewhere else. So when college finished, I went on to a production um, called The Apprentice, and then I went on to Deal or No Deal. And then really through networking and through asking friends of friends to say, do you know anybody in New York? I was so, I, I, I was born in the States, so I'm very fortunate I could go back to the States tomorrow morning and there'd be no visa issues. But for me, I, I was ignorant enough not to want to do that unless I had a job. Because as my father keeps telling me, money doesn't grow on trees, Maria. So <laughs> I then got a job as a, as an, in an entry level role in a creative agency called AR New York. And the creative director, the founder was um, and is the still the creative director for American Vogue. So I went in from the west of Ireland. Wow. To this very, very New York, white walls, big windows. <laughs> Martha Stewart had an office in the building we were in. Devils Wear Prada. This yeah, I'm thinking very Devil's much Devil's that. Devil Wears Prada. Very much that. But then I was like, what am I doing here? And I would, and I used to get on really well with everybody because I'm a, you know, I, I, I we're, we're Irish people are personal, but people like, um, hence the reason why we're so successful in various parts of the world. But it never felt right, and you have to really want to love the fact industry to stay in it and I didn't it was a means to an end for me and then I moved on to a photo agency which made me realize that I can't work in small teams it was me the agent of a photographer and another staff member now bear in mind this coincides with the crash the financial crash and I was sending out invoices and making phone calls and getting jobs for this photographer that he would charge 150,000 euro just to show up on a set to shoot eight photographs and my dad, meanwhile, as was the world, was, you know, my dad in particular and my folks were, were in Ireland. This financial crash was happening and he was trying to just keep his roof over his head because 
as a subcontractor, larger companies were shutting down and he, 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 he was losing a lot of money. And I remember walking the office that I was in at the time was in Soho. And I remember walking from Prince and Broadway up till in around 49th Street to get my subway home. Now, I didn't need to, but dad would call me every evening because my other siblings wouldn't pick up. So if they're listening to this, they should have done it solid <laughs> and picked up back then. Um, That's a dig. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. But it just, it, 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 it I, I couldn't comprehend the two worlds. It was really hard. And then that made me just become more frustrated with New York. I quickly tasted the world of imbalance and I didn't like it. Mm. And me and New York were kind of coming to the end anyways. And then I got a random call from a woman who I would have helped out in the ad agency when I first landed. And she was like, where are you? She went on maternity leave and I was like, oh, I'm at this photo agency. She's like, why? And I was like, I don't know. What's going on? And she's like, well, do you want a job in Philly? And she's like, you know, I don't know if you're ready to leave the city. And I was like, no, I'm ready. And she goes, nobody leaves New York City, Maria. People go to New York City to stay in New York City. And I was like, no, I'm good. And she couldn't get over it. She's like, what is wrong with you? But I went to Philly. I went down on a on a Friday. I had the interview. I walked around the city because it's a big town. And really mm-hmm. for an hour after my interview, I got my train back to New York, got the job offer on the Monday, handed in my 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 one month's notice, hadn't been in Philly in between that month. And yeah, and the rest is history. And I and I fell in love with it. It's it, for anybody listening um, and for you two girls in particular, if you can visit Philadelphia, it's it's probably the, the underdog on the East Coast. It's so gritty. It doesn't really care what other people's opinion is of it. And it's just brilliant. Yeah. And then and then you get to represent it on an international stage. Um, in a little festival called the Rose of Sleep. And, and as you can tell, I'm a queen of waffles. So cut me off there, girls. <laughs> no, and, and, I was, I was. Get me on to another point. I was, I'm very, I was enjoying that waffle as you put I was, it. As well, so slides to. I keep threatening to send the the tourism board of Philadelphia because even uh, their their tourism tagline is "With Love Philly." And even over my rose year, mm-hmm. uh, I used to sign "With Love Philly." because that, I was so ingrained into the city and that's who mm-hmm. I represented. That's what I wanted to mm-hmm. represent. And it's funny, I, I often think, I go, I should send them a commission bill for all the people I'm sending to the city of brotherly love. <laughs> they get an invoice and they're just yeah, like, yeah. what? Who Not known this? at this address. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you went for that interview, you said you walked around Philly for what an hour, a couple of hours. Did you yeah, feel yeah. during that walk that you were like, did you still get the, start getting the sense that you could actually enjoy living here? Yes, very much so. It was... It, uh, I, I've had deep and meaningful conversations with friends over over that move. And they're like, but is it because New York was too big for you and you just felt uncomfortable? Not at all. It's, I think I think when people go to places and, and they're listening to their intuition or they can hear their intuition, because sometimes we all have it. Sometimes we just don't want to listen to it or we can't hear it. And for me, it just made sense. You know, it just felt like an area that I wanted to explore more every street. And, and what I love about Philly is every it goes block to block in difference. So you could have a, a, a very influential or area in terms of real estate. And then you go into what we call Section 8 housing, which is council housing. Mm-hmm. But the street is is maintained. There's a gorgeous vibe to it. It's so historical. It was the first capital of, of America before D.C. came. So the Constitution was there. So there was elements of history. And then there was modernism around but there there as I said like there's a grittiness to it and I mm-hmm. and I loved it for it so for me it just made sense and when I found my apartment eventually 
the only two things I had was like, as long as it's near Dunkin' Donuts, because I, I love it now, coffee and the subway. And outside of that, I'll walk everywhere else. So, um, yeah, but when I moved there and I started making friends with people at work, I'd be up on a Saturday morning at six o'clock in the morning going, right, you know, who's up? And they're like, yeah, call me in four hours when actual people wake up. So I used to walk to Home Depot, pick up my little bits and pieces, walk back. Sure, I'd be walking everywhere. Like I, ne- I didn't have a car. So, but anyways, now I'm on a tangent. So hold um, right and what was your role in the in the job that you? Yeah, got? so I went into. Uh, I, I was hired by a Scottish creative director mm-hmm. who who hired me to. They anthrop- basically our, our company was called Urban um, Inc. Um, so it, it had a number of sus- subsidiaries. So like yeah, Urban Outfitters sense. for anybody yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anthropology, and then I started for Beholden, which is, was a wedding line of anthro, um, creating photography shoots, working on budgets, um, making everything happen um, for creative assets for photographs. Mm-hmm. And then I moved into their studio, um, Anthropology Studio, to manage a team of about 35. I had two direct reports, uh, a couple of million of a budget. And then what was interesting is the website world, the online business was becoming the alpha of, of the company. Um, versus the bricks and mortar that that many of the stores uh, are are built on, so um, or many brands are built on. So for me, then I got to be in this pace that was very different because there was just so much focus to it. So that's where where I was, and I always remember um, early August telling my boss in 2014, going, "I'll be back in 10 days." And in America, you don't you only get 10 days holidays, yeah. um, so you have to be really sparingly with them. Whoa. And um, I said, "I'll be back in 10 days." Oh, no. and, and he was like, well, what if you win, Marie? And I was like, not at all. I have a budget report to you when I come back. And listen, Chris, you don't have a clue about Irish festivals. Like, I'm not going to win. I'm literally going for the crack luck. How, how did you end up? I assume this is about the, the Rose Chile, mm-hmm. the 10 days of the Rose of Chile. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. How did that come about to even start doing the Rose of Chile? Mm. And how long at this stage had you been in Philadelphia? So I was in, so like everybody, uh, and I hope yourselves included, uh, we grew, I grew up in the Rose of Chile Festival. So I remember my first rose when I moved here in 94 was a woman called Myrna Hurley. She represented Limerick. But I really remember the rose when Mindy O'Sullivan won and I was 12 um, oh, in 1998. Yeah. And she was a male woman and she her, her mom was from um, the Philippines. Uh, her dad was a really, a sol- is a solid male man. So I remember thinking to myself, what, like, she is exotic and she's so proud to be from Mayo and she lives a half an hour down that road. Like my brain was blown. <laughs> and I remember just thinking, I'd love to put that on my bucket list at some point. So it was like a little seed in the back of my brain. And But I always had an ignorance to it. I, I always wanted to represent Mayo or the next place I called home. And in, in hindsight, I would never have represented New York. It was always going to be Philly when I moved to Philly. So for me, I'd been playing football in, in New York and then again in Philadelphia to meet more people. And for anybody who lived away from, from home before... You miss the crack sometimes that Irish people give you when you're away. Like you miss the banter. Like I'm not a funny person, but I'm a fairly funny person. But there was jokes I was landing or weren't landing <laughs> with my American friends. And I was pulling my hair out going like, I'm actually a really funny person. You guys there's give me no like, worse feeling. Oh, like there's nothing worse. They have very different humor. <laughs> yeah, but they do. And it's really hard sometimes to feel grounded within that, you know. Um, yeah. So I was playing football there for, for a team called the Notre Dame. And then I, I just happened to come across another Irish association called the Rose of Chile. And 
And I, I, in 2012, when I first, I think it was about a couple of months in the city, I extended a hand and went out and I wasn't selected that first year. And I remember taking it off the bucket list and the girl that represented a woman called Elizabeth Spellman is still one of my, spells is still one of my great, greatest friends and then in 2014 I would always help out volunteering and different stuff uh, over, over the couple of years and 2014 they called me um the organizers of Philadelphia Rose and they were like Maria we're one girl short will you come out and I go oh you know yeah I'll, I'll, I'll sell tickets or I'll, I'll do whatever you need and they're like no no we need one girl for the Rose of, like for the actual stage and I was like no I take that off my bucket list but listen whatever you need do and, and Karen's like don't worry Maria you won't win you just need a girl and I was like all right and I actually hadn't told my folks hadn't told friends I borrowed a Guna from work I borrowed my friend's car because it was out in the burbs I picked up a Dunkin' Donuts coffee on my way there. Like, this is how much I didn't. Like, if I had lipstick on, it was a big day. So I went through all the process, uh, interviews, and then they did stage, and that was fine. And then I remember being on the stage, and uh, they were like, uh, representing Philadelphia in 2014 is Maria Walsh. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> and the MC brought me up and was like, so who's here with you? And and. I was like, ah, <laughs> next question. They're like, no, no, really, who's with you? And luckily, uh, like I had said, this is probably where I knew I, I should have known I was a politician. I was like, well, we're, we're, we're in a room of Irish, aren't we all friends here to try and get me over the fact that I was Billy Nomates. <laughs> out of the corner of my eye was a mail flag at the back of, of, of the function hall. And I said, I assumed if there was one or 10, I didn't care. That person was going to be my friend. And I said, oh, my mayo table down there. And next thing, the whole table erupted. And I thought, sweet Jesus, I don't know who those are, but they're my friends now. And I must have gotten more photographs with random mayo people that I'd never met before. And and that's kind of where that story happened. Uh, and, I, and I love telling that story, particularly to young women who might, well, who want a bit of a laugh, but equally who try something and it doesn't work out for them. Yeah. And, 2012 wasn't my year. 2014, given everything, was meant to be. Um, and yeah. who who would have who thunk it? Like, I call, I, and of course, driving home, I stopped at McDonald's drive-thru because that's what I do when big <laughs> things happen in my life. And none of my family picked up. None of them. So oh I went to bed God. and I was like, right, I'll just wait for someone to call me back and let, me, <laughs> let them tell them that I'm represented Philadelphia in the Rose of Dream. <laughs> So oh, wow. yeah. so, uh, so you obviously went to that. I'm not going to be picked as the Philadelphia Rose, Grant. You got picked as the Philadelphia Rose. Sure, I'm not going to win the Rose of Chile. So like, you won. <laughs> no, no. And a lot of so, people, and then we do, and we, we used to do um, a regional festival in Port Leash, which I loved because it was a way, now I grew up in Ireland, so I, I got to see you know the many different beautiful aspects that the country has to offer. But there was a lot of Americans who had never been, or they had been on, on short family holidays. So, Port Leash and, and the regional festival in Leash as a whole, we used to go out to different areas and it was it was just gorgeous. But they removed that and everything goes down to Tralee now. But I think it was 63 roses met in Port Leash over a long weekend. And out of that 60, 23 roses get picked. I remember sitting there and my mom was out of the no, corner of my eye and Dahi was doing the crack on stage and they were they were on like 20, they were coming on to 21 and 22, or 22 and 23 and my name hadn't been called and my mom was like, and I was like, oh yeah, but I've had great crack, you know, and it never even phased me and then they announced me and I was like, oh God, my boss is going to kill me. <laughs> and then fast forward to the international roles, like I remember standing on the stage and I was second last on, on the second night and I remember clapping and I looked out and like for anybody who, who knocks down the festival, well, first and foremost, you need to go down and you got to witness it. Like there's two and a half, three thousand people in the audience 
there is hundreds of thousands outside who grew up with the festival and, and picking roses and falling in love and having the crack and doing all the things that happen in the explicit hours of the night in Tralee. And, but that's a part of the, the festival as a whole. And then you have in the dome, like women that put their hands up to really show who they are and why they're proud to be Irish. And I remember standing there going, this was great. Take, trying to absorb all the noise in. And then Dahi announced me and my face dropped. And a lot of people thought it was based off of my sexuality was going to come. Not at all. Like I was thinking, oh my God, my boss is going <laughs> to kill me because I was like, how do I fit this in now? Like, what does it mean? And I instantly went You're to work, which a commitment, isn't it? Once oh yeah, yeah, it's well, it can be. You you pick and choose what it is that you want to do and what you it is you want to focus on. And for me, it was because of because things aligned and people loved the fact that I was the Algueros at Chile. It just allowed more press and more awareness. And and when you have that, then you just gotta kind of hold tight and go with it mm-hmm. wow wow fun not f- a journey <laughs> i know uh fun yeah. fact our doctor fee malone tried out for the rose actually there the uh, golly rose and i totally i wanted to see what it was like because of all the kind of connotations that go with mm-hmm. it and i was like Do you know what i'm just gonna and i was doing it to support um galwegians women's rugby good for you and the it was really overwhelming the amount of support that you have I, I know obviously you were on your own <laughs> no 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 but you're so right, but like support, yeah but did it, was it everything that you'd imagined was was it a surprise was it as anti-feminism as people make it out to be no, it was everything I didn't expect it at all does that make sense it is I made friends. I learned a lot about myself. It is not anti-feminist. It's very much in, uh, encouraging and putting women on a platform. The new women of Ireland, if, mm-hmm. if that's kind of, if you want to give it a term, the amount of um, intelligent, creative, and talented women that were just in the Galway heat alone was fantastic and you just got to hear kind of like this podcast so many different stories of people and we could all kind of we all now have this one thing in common that we all of a Saturday night got up on a stage and did uh answered some questions and did a routine and and spoke about ourselves and it's a very vulnerable thing to do as well I do remember getting on the stage and I would consider myself quite confident and then when I got on the stage I was like oh <laughs> this yeah. is a lot of people. <laughs> like this is crazy. And because what what it doesn't what what nobody tells you is, and probably what I should be starting saying is, you're encouraged to give your elevator pitch of who yeah. you are and where you're coming from, and bring everything in together in the space of two and a half three minutes. Yes. And a lot of people assume then you're judged on your party piece, when in actual fact you're not judged on a party piece at all. If you have a talent, great, showcase it. If yeah. not, then do what I I did and chat away to die all shame yeah, and get off the stage without swearing what everyone kind of asks you about and stuff yeah. and you're like, well you didn't have to do one it was just part of the kind of show of yeah, the, the production yeah. for the people yeah. exactly so you learn a lot about that I learned a lot that I think stood to me in my career in how I portray myself and how I, what I want to communicate and show if that makes sense yes I have a massive way more respect for it than I did well, that's great to hear. I would I wouldn't I wouldn't like to hear if I hear anyone putting it down I think it's a very um archaic way of looking at the festival <laughs> and it's ours it's it's yeah. our festival like yeah. why why are we always poking fun at what we own mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's ours I mean I often think of when you when you talk about the Rose Tree Festival and you think of the word diaspora that ever grown Irish community mm-hmm. and it's yeah sure in one sense men and women built that but 
I mean, back to the historical context of even our, our, our 2016 centennial, like women were eroded, airbrushed out of stories. Yes. Yet they were, yet when you look at the Rose Tree Festival, it was a number of women and a number of men who sat in a pub one night to talk about how to bring business to the town of Tralee because post um, an economic crash, they were trying to bring people into their area. And they did so by creating the Rose Tree linked yeah. up with it like there's a business element and obviously the romantic side when you talk about the song um the rose of Tralee and, and mary's story but like it's it's it when and then you take all of that and you bring the community element to it yeah. where you have generate like i remember being you get presented back to the town of Tralee. it was a tuesday night it was probably 11 o'clock at night and there was thousands of people on the stage and there was generations of people outside doors it's just incredible. way and, and 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 you could hear stories of like, well, I see in the last whatever, you, like you, you just see yeah. the story. You know, mm-hmm. and, because I was coming at it from such a kind of a, a surface level. And it isn't then when you kind of go to the, the evenings and you chat and you do the like it's incredible there's so many activities i was the busiest and most popular i've ever been yeah. in my life and we lost it from it oh my god <laughs> yeah. and we we only did the small kind of regional like the little one and it's not until you kind of meet people who are like oh well it's ingrained in their family or you know their upbringing and it's it's those kind of people that you really listen to their stories because it means so much to them and i kind of feel then it was i just kind of standing in you know not knowing. I learned a lot. I learned a lot from that. And I do think it is, I think the business aspect is a really good thing to talk about as well, because for what people might not know, especially for the the smaller one that we did, the Goyos, everyone has to be sponsored by some sort of business or charity or, or some sort of organization in the community. And then you also kind of need to talk about that and, 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 and know about the area. And for me, I had moved to Galway. So I got, I got a chance to see Galway, you know. Yeah, and you, you, got, you not only got to, well, you, you not only got to see a, a new place for yourself, but you got to build um, a network that you would have never had yeah. the opportunity to do. Yeah, to do so. There's, There's a lot of elements to the Rose Tralee. There is a lot other than, and it's not just two nights in August where women yeah. in dresses get up and, and with lovely, lovely bottoms and <laughs> exactly. all the other ladies. <laughs> and I'm, I'm into comedy and humor, and I think poking fun um, helps us understand things. But I think if you are going to poke fun at anything, then try and walk in, in those shoes of those roses and give it a go because it definitely changed my entire interpretation of it. And it also gave me a chance to speak about women in sport and women in rugby and, and to advertise that on a different stage as opposed to just a pitch in a rugby ball, which was really nice too. Mm-hmm. So we all kind of won that night. That sounds really rosy, doesn't it? No, no, but it's true. It's true. <laughs> it's so true. I, I mean, I all throughout my year, they were like, do you mind, you know, lovely, lovely ladies? And I'm like, when did that become a negative connotation i'm like yeah. i'm delighted if someone calls me a lovely lady a lady maybe age me a little bit but like um but we're okay to talk about the fact that we get to celebrate who we are and where we're coming from yeah, I think yeah. and it's okay you know like it's to- like it's a good thing yeah it's also cool that it's kind of outside of ireland like that philadelphia rose is coming to ireland to represent county or whatever that's not in the irish on the irish island so that's cool that it's kind of grown past our little humble little yeah. island so originally it started you'd had to have uh, family connections like a parent mm. from Tralee, and yeah. then it went from county Galway or county Kerry, sorry and then it went from to ireland and then it was any link to irish ancestry throughout the world so we have centers dotted all throughout australia new zealand mm-hmm. 
uh, the Middle East, all over Europe, and then all over the States, um, some in Canada too. So, and then obviously the 32 counties. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a pretty big enterprise when you think, yeah, you know, I, I often talk about I represented 72 roses mm-hmm. um, and 32 escorts because that was our year. That, that, that It wasn't just what you saw on TV. There was mm-hmm. actually an awful lot. And then you have girls who, who maybe were unsuccessful that year in, in their own event, um, but were very much a part of the DNA of, of 2014. And, mm-hmm. and they're always important to acknowledge too. So you obviously, you won the Rosa Trilly and you were, when you won, you were obviously concerned about your boss back in Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah. So what what was the kind of process after after winning? What decisions did you have to make in terms of your work or your career over in Philadelphia? What, all of a sudden, what obligations kind of, I suppose would have been put on put on your lap. I suppose after winning the Rose of Tralee, what went into that? Yeah, so I knew I wasn't. So it's a year long, a year long ambassador role, mm-hmm. apolitical. I think that's important to point out. Considering 2014, 2015, 2015 in particular became very instrumental in in a referendum and a and a psychological shift in in Irish um, society. Mm-hmm. But for me, uh, you get selected, um, and then the next day at bright and early, you're you're out doing interviews, talking about the impact that this has had, and you're like, I. Oh, I'm living it. Um, I do also for some humor. So, you know, you win the Rose of Chile, right? And you're like, oh God, I get to do the shot. You know, when they're in the bed in the newspaper and breakfast is coming yeah. in, and you're all set up. Oh no. Our year, they decided to use the bazaar, which was the fun fair, and put me on the, the Ferris wheel. And it was like eight o'clock, seven o'clock in the morning. What? And all I kept remember thinking is, where's the bed shot? Like, where's the breakfast bed with the newspaper? Uh, and they decided not to do it that year. And then the next year, they went back to oh the bed shot. I, I was the taster year that How year. And clearly, did you feel uh, robbed? I, 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 t- I did. I felt like I didn't get my true, my, my true, you know, like, you know that image. Anybody listening who yeah, follows yeah, no, the actually knows exactly what I'm talking about. Anyways, long story short, we, you know, you quickly go through and then you're 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 so busy because you're still on Rose Tree schedule and and it's only maybe a week or two after that you get the the nuts the bolts of what happens. So there's a couple of things that you're required as an international Rose Tree to commit to, and that was your regional festival, your obviously international festival, a couple of other things. But for for me, it was I didn't want to give up my full time job in Philly uh, unless it was very much worth it. And the Rose Tree built me my podium, so everything I got from it is is exactly the level of work that I put into it and not just me, the festival as a whole, but equally people bought into the Rose of Chile that year and they do every year, but based off my sexuality and, and the heightened awareness of it, I think there was fortunately a little bit more uptake. So doors were flying open and I was like, let's go because we might never get this moment again. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to lie, like the, the crown was placed on my head and the sash was placed over my shoulder and you step into something that you are now a part of history and the expectation I had of myself as the international rose tree was was very high you know I I always wanted to put my best foot forward um, in the most authentic way that I knew how but that was connecting through much like my political career like you have to get out and talk to people um, and I love people so I would never I, I kept my full-time job in Philly I would fly every weekend home so typically I'd be on a US Airlines flight at 9 p.m out of Philly land in Dublin the next morning at a stupid o'clock and then I would be in a part of the the prize was a, a Kia car 
So I'd be in my car by 9.15 on that next morning and I could be anywhere in the country for 48 hours and then I'd be back in Philly at my desk Monday morning ready to go again. And I did that for a number of weeks. And then there's other weeks where I would do a week in Ireland if I could, but I was working... I was still working around the clock. Like I was checking in with my team in my USA team and then always just double jobbing. We did a 32 county tour over, over a case of, I think 10 days where again, the heightened awareness was just to try and bring and connect to as many communities. And then kind of towards the end of the rose year, I thought if there's one time to move home, probably this is it. But in terms of asks and wants and wishes from the festival themselves, it was as much as I wanted to contribute to. You do get from a business side, you get a 25,000 spend a part of your rose year. But I can tell you this, if you're traveling every week, if you're putting clothes on your back and making sure everything is manicured and pretty and also you're putting diesel and feeding yourself in yeah. airports and all that jazz, um, 25,000 went went very very fast Mm -hmm. and it went as exactly as it should so other roses might decide to save some of that or put it towards education or put it towards whatever for me I was just like if I got it this year it was going to be spent this year and yeah but I needed there's parts of it where I needed my full-time job in order to to sustain my my ambassador role did you find an added pressure then with your title uh due to your sexuality there was certainly an expectation around it so like for anybody who might be listening to this, like for me, my sexuality is such a, like I would introduce myself as being a pioneer long before I introduced myself as being gay. I made the conscious decision to become a pioneer when I was 12. Being gay is just a part of me. And I wasn't in a relationship at the time of the Rose of Tralee. So it never, it never really dawned on me that that would be a part of a story that made it to, to do. And a lot of people don't believe that. They're like, nah, you're just hiding it. And I'm like, no, like I, I legit. I legit forgot that I was single. I mean, if you've been single for a while, you appreciate, you like to forget things, you know? Um, but when it happened and then I realized there was another level of, of expectation that I placed on myself. And then there's another level of just wanting to do things as right as I could for, for everybody who touched the festival. So when news broke, I, you know, a call came through to confirm it through the communications manner manager at the time of the festival and I could see there was some panic so I grabbed everybody in a room I maybe it might have been 24 hours after getting honored with the title and grabbed everybody who made decisions in a room and, and put them in there and just said this is who I am and is this going to be a problem and please call every sponsor please call the judges make sure anybody who wants to talk to me this is what I'm here for and I really had to control my own story because if I didn't it, it would have become such a fabricated, sensationalized story mm. that I didn't want, you know. And for me, even from the get-go, when I when when I talked to the Sun newspaper and it broke the Rosa Tree, I'm gay. Um, it was the one thing that was key to me was I'm not just gay. I'm also a pioneer. I'm a big yeah. sports lover. I'm a volunteer. Mm. Uh, I'm a woman. I'm an. So much more to you than there's. I work in fashion. Like there's so much more than just the box that people like to put you in. And, yeah. And and that's that's. But within everything like that, there's expectations. And I think as women, we might. Well, I know for myself, I put a lot of expectations on myself that people are like relaxed and like, no, I I need to do this right. And mm-hmm. um, wow. I think I think that's very important that whether it's your sexuality, whether it's your pioneer, whatever it is, like people aren't one dimensional. Like everyone has different things that make them who they are and that should be something that everyone should be very proud of so I think exactly. the process that you took in controlling the situation is just a testament to you and just fantastic and oh. a great example to other people that might have gone through a similar thing or might go through a similar thing but I think it's definitely something 
people should be proud of who they are. Kind yeah. of thing. Or they might feel yeah. listening that they can't do a certain thing because of mm. a certain aspect of themselves. And I think you've shown that you are who you are. Mm-hmm. And if you want to do something, then do it. Yeah. There ain't well, nobody stopping you, you about yourself. You're very yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you're re- well, you're very kind. But I think it is, you're, you're right in the sense, it's so important to highlight the fact that you don't, if people don't put, people shouldn't be allowed to put you in a box. Mm-hmm. And this mindset of trial and error it has to be a part of our psyche because yeah. you're not going to come out of school. We talked about a little bit of it. Like you're not going to come out of school and know exactly who you want to be and where you want to go. Mm-hmm. It is through circumstance and, 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 and that trial and error where you get to narrow down the person that you are. And, and if it's work or volunteer sector or your life choices, and that's that's what makes you you. But yeah, we, we, we got to start focusing on our mental health and the ability to open up our own mindsets mm-hmm. before we allow other people to um, inhibit. Totally exactly. agree. So obviously you went through that year of being an ambassador for the Rose Chile and doing as you said, as much as you wanted to do while balancing your work back in Philadelphia. When... That's so impressive. Yeah. <laughs> there's a, but there's a solid chance uh, Urban Outfitters pro- or uh, Anthropology in particular won't hire anybody from Ireland who's <laughs> on the age of a certain uh, or female because I ruined every bit of, yeah, my boss is like, really? And I'm like, yeah, I'll do that Sorry. soon. <laughs> Irish people are just hard workers, okay? We like yeah. to do a lot of different things. Yeah. We're gritty. <laughs> so after you finish your year of ambassadorship, did you move back then to Ireland at the end of that year? Was it before you finished your ambassadorship? Was a little bit after? What was the process then? Um, and what made you decide to come home from Philadelphia? Yeah, so I packed up my life in Philly towards the end of July, early August, right before I handed back the crown. I was really back living in Ireland again in, in September. Yeah, it was it was a really hard, it, it, it's a really hard come down with after a big year that you have and then to make as many life choices that I made and that's it's the time because, you know, Philadelphia means and still means an awful lot to me. Could I see myself in the future back in Philly? Absolutely. I, I love the city so much. But for me, there is something, a gut feeling was telling me you, you got to move home and take a chance on something. I gave my my timeline was a year, five years later, and and a little a bit, y- and then I'm still here. Being in Ireland, is that it? Yeah, I was giving myself a year to in Ireland to figure out where I could take this podium next. Mm-hmm. For me, as a person, that was a big risk because I had worked really hard at building a career in Philly, a life in Philly, and everything felt right. And then all of a sudden, the rose tree happened, and then this little butterfly of possibility started kicking off in my brain and mm-hmm. and I thought shoulda woulda coulda I hate that so I'm gonna I'm gonna move home I'm gonna try it out but I was I, I was 20 28 and that's a really hard time for anybody I think as yeah. is the early 30s when you're trying to trying to navigate your own identity and where you fit and where you want to go and what you want to do and that vocation and that purpose and so I'd spent a number of years trying to navigate through that I opened up a business called Juniper and Ruby events and creative agency that was unsuccessful um, but I learned a hell of a lot about business I was doing an awful lot of media uh, stuff uh, and that worked but something just didn't feel right and then in 2018 um, around this time actually in 2018 I, I got so frustrated at myself because I felt like I was following all the shiny little things that were popping in because you know for anybody who's self-employed you're scrambling to take in work you know and and 
sometimes you can be luxurious in taking things and sometimes you can't be and you gotta go what's gonna keep the lights on mm-hmm. um and i remember making a, a a list of everything i instantly went back to to say yes to and everything that i would have kind of held on for a day or two to figure out how i felt about it and there was so much social issues so like if a school asked me to go and talk about the rose tree i was yes if a community group asked me to launch something yes if it was something a little bit more paid and media specific in the industry, then I was like, yeah, I'm going to take 24 hours to think about that. So I slowly but surely navigated my way through social and speaking out and vocation and advocating for social issues was a big part of who I am and my identity. And mm-hmm. that's the reason now I, I decided I might put my hand up in, in 2019 and run for the European election. Great. There was a lot of work in between that, but we, we, we got there. <laughs> See that your childhood and your community influences really then came kind of full circle in 2018. It's really nice to see that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it just goes to show you sustainable cycles work. But it also goes, you know, there's things that you get, you subconsciously take in. And I don't know any other way of life because that's the life I grew up in. But equally, those who didn't grow up in that a similar setting to me will have different skill sets yeah, true. That, that would have came through but it just goes to show you community should reflect everything and everything should be reflective of our community mm-hmm. um, and sometimes we we don't have that balance Did I'm you... really sorry because I'm going off on tangents here and no, I know no, no. you're trying to rain <laughs> the rain and bring it in no it's, it's really <laughs> inter- it's, like it's super interesting is the the kind of going down the route of the European Parliament sort of stuff was that always something maybe that was in the back of your head to, to do something like that or was just anything kind of in that area um i guess i started uh, i i gifted myself the one day course for women for election in june 2018 um highly recommend anybody who's even thinking about getting involved in the political space and, and not just as a candidate but as a campaign manager or someone who helps out in social media as policy and legislator anything you know they they do a collect all but it allows you just to listen to other ways of thinking and you get to flirt with the with the world that you may may not want to dip your toe into if that makes sense mm-hmm. so I, I i remember writing down a couple of different things and i thought right political space is there i was really interested in the strategic mindset of it you know how why wasn't people putting their hand up why who was representing me um, we just had two big monumental referendums and why weren't we seeing or a potential why weren't we seeing great change here I remember meeting different people for years at community events that were, you know, political uh, across all political persuasions that were uh, were were representing us. And, and and I grew up. I mean, I'm an Obama baby. Like I grew up with watching him. Um, yes, we could. You know, I was I was in I was in the King's Head when he was elected. I was in King's Head when he was inaugurated because that's Democrats were gathering and that's where we were. And I was very much in that space. I equally, much like you two, was in a space where I grew up in a country. I moved here when I was seven. Um, as I said earlier, Mary Robinson had become the first president in 1990. She lived 40 minutes down the road, much like Mindy O'Sullivan. So when you have little seeds planted and then you swing that over, um, I'm probably open myself up to some critique here, but I also grew up in an era where the Spice Girls and being who you wanted to be was very much the DNA of all of that. And we joke about it, but that's really the stories that were, feminism was being planted in my brain from long, long ago. But politics never really came into this 
seen until that Women for Election event. And then I started chit-chatting and, and, and figuring what is possible, what is not. Um, I was really interested in local politics to see how you could change community. Um, and a European uh, election was floated. In, and I always love to tell this because I remember it being floated to me and I was like, right, give me a week. And I text 10 of my friends from various networks. And I said, who's your local MEP and what did they do? And nine of them came back not knowing either answer, which is not surprising given given where we are, I think, with politics yeah. um, and the us and them. And, and I don't mean the what we see right now in, in national or international politics, but I just mean our understanding of why we vote, who we vote for and the sustainable cycle that that it that it brings to us as people so for me much like the rose of Chile year and that expectation that was placed as soon as the crown got placed on as soon as i got the nine of the ten coming back saying i don't know i was like right that's a completely different expectation that i want to fight for now and that opened the i, I think the the hunger in me then to start proving something's wrong or really paving a way for something different mm-hmm. yeah i think it's really important as well that the two major um referendums that our wonderful little country has come through they were nearly uh, as a result of social change as opposed to uh, political enforcement yeah we're saying that for for sure yeah and i think what's happening now is there's a kind of a rebirth or an awakening now in in looking at our political agenda and um the politics in our country and and figuring out who is better for those jobs and who can stand up and take the job and do it properly mm-hmm. um, because for the for the two referendums to go through it took population it took the people and as my dad always says to me he's like whatever you're doing just vote people people died for your right to do that he like mm-hmm. and it was so funny I remember in school I was so not clued in to anything political I remember did we have a subject CSP yeah CSP that was the business the, 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 the easy, the easy ones. <laughs> a clue what was, was going on. Easy, eh? What are you yeah. talking about? Yeah, exactly. You didn't have to know anything. It was easy. Yeah. <laughs> it was, but like, I would be like, uh, what, I remember one of the questions, like, match the name to the picture, and like, sure, okay, Mary Robinson, yeah, cool, know her, and then I was like, ooh, Minister of Finance. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who that is. And then maybe question two was draw a poster, and I was like, yep, yeah, all over that, no problem. And that's how you got your eight. Do you know that kind of way, like. I do, I totally agree with you that there needs to be more light shone on who the people are in these in these positions because people just don't know. And it is, we're at a time now where younger generations and younger people are getting more involved in social and political change. I mean, you know, climate change, obviously what's going on with COVID-19, things like that. And I think there is going to be a time for, um, now is the time for change and younger people to get involved, but they don't know who they're... And, you know what, and it's such an exciting time exciting, politics, yeah. but I think it's also, we're going through a period of identity crisis. What, what progressive politics looks like? Mm, you know, yeah. what... How do you balance social change with economic standpoint? You know, how do we come out of COVID-19 without having another crisis where each and every one of us now are looking at our folks going, okay, some of you are close to retirement, some of you not. I can't carry the weight of a household here because I don't have enough money coming in. So how, how are we making that work? And and that's where it's become really difficult to find the balance of who our right leadership is who we should be voting in because we have systematic issues, housing and healthcare being two. We also have a climate crisis. And then we also have people like me who would be known in on a, a Twitter thread or two of being a parachute candidate. And in one way, yeah, rightly so. But in the other, it's like, well, 
hang on a second who else was going to put their hands up like who else was going to get involved and and use all their stories and and take take the brunt of trying to make society more open to having people who are not born in politics yeah at the dinner table because if you're not at the dinner table nothing changes but I remember being so confused and probably a little bit annoyed. I was going to say a swear word, but I'll refrain. Um, <laughs> we, we, the the uh, repeal the eighth. I think there was a group photograph, and it was great. And we were talking about different changes, and and it was uh, it was it was one of those photo ops um, that I was really proud to be associated with. But you know, you obviously wanted to to make as much impact as you could. And I remember the photo op finished, and uh, a girl turned around to me and was like, "Well, we'll get this through, and then um, yeah, and we'll see what else happens." And I was like, "Oh yeah, but you'll be voting. Obviously, people vote in the referendums, but then you have to vote at local and." Mm-hmm. Um, the general was coming up and they're like uh, and I remember the girl saying no my vote doesn't make a difference there and I was like no no like if your vote does make a difference oh, if, yeah. if you don't vote at local level then who you're feeding into at national level or European level doesn't change which means the questions that society is forcing people to ask don't happen you know like we we need innovative strong opinionated people that reflect our community mm-hmm. in politics but it needs to come in waves like you can't just referendums are sexy and trendy yeah exactly yeah but there's a lot more to them than just voting on the day and putting up a tweet yeah. tweet and a post like we we also need to make sure that systematic change is happening also mm-hmm. and she didn't get it and i was i was really i was really concerned then for thought because in the last election that was quite a, a common theme and where do you think that ideology is stemming from is it I think it's well things like actually even like CSPE and you're yeah. there going where does it actually carry weight I'm really I was delighted to meet a number of secondary schools who brought in the policy politics and society module that it's a two-year senior cycle program they only chose certain pilot schools to do it and I I would whatever government comes out of what we're in now you know I'd be the first to make sure and lobby for all schools to have that and a teacher that's dedicated to to teaching that um, because that's where you make change like you need to plant the seeds of if you're not protecting if you're not participating in society in the political landscape you're not protecting your society on the political landscape and and I think our awareness I think the in influx of negative us and them media isn't helping i think the five minutes of fame sometimes brainwashes all of us to thinking well that's us and that's us done but no you're just peeling off one piece of an onion and you need to keep working on it but mm-hmm. we we are going through an identity crisis and it's okay to say you're a progressive center it's okay to say you're left it's okay to say you're right but we forget sometimes the the respect level in that how do you encourage people to get involved in politics you know maybe maybe after this we'll i was just about to say i think after listening to you and i myself i'm not very good at the whole following politics and stuff like that but i can tell you from listening to you now the passion that you have behind it but just even the way that you've explained it has kind of, I don't know, flipped a switch a little bit in my brain. And I'm sure it'll be the same for a lot of people that will listen to this episode to show that there there is like, a, I suppose, a ripple effect that you have to start from the bottom to affect the people at the top kind of thing. So, yeah, I think what you're doing and what you're trying to achieve is amazing. Oh, thank you. Thank um, you. Now, if only I could give this speech to Mayo and we might win in All-Ireland sometimes. <laughs> no. 
<laughs> uh, we used to when we played rugby we used to um, make little motivational videos before our games and it used to be the oh, yeah. inch by inch speech from like what's the movie it's from um, uh, Any Given Sunday or something like that Sunday. so I, I'm sure people there's, are, a, there's a, one of my favourite films is Miracle by Disney and it's based so off good. the like, hockey yeah, oh, yeah the, and the it's speech Canadian. in the dressing room yeah just wait. There's so many. There's like that category of real life uh, sports movies that are just so good. So good. Yeah. <laughs> they really give you a bit of a... They do. And you have Disney <laughs> Plus there. So if, if people have Disney Plus out there, they could try and watch Miracle now because it's there. Yeah, it's such a good film. Oh, <laughs> it's a classic. So right. it's very important that we have people making it accessible. I think accessibility is a big thing in politics mm. as well. Like, like you said, if you're not at the table... And also, it's Im- impressive to see someone like yourself who didn't come from a political home. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when you're, I always sometimes find that my political learnings come from TV shows also. And you see things like, you know, American TV shows and Irish TV shows, and their dad was a counselor, he was a senator, and then it all stems down. And you're like, well, my mom works in a shop, so, <laughs> you know, but probably having someone like yourself should shift that. And it, it is a good time in Irish history in an Irish society for that to happen so mm-hmm. oh, well, well we, and we have to make it more digestible for people and there is so much work you know the, the work that goes in behind putting your mm-hmm. hand up but for anybody out there who's even thinking about it just use your network everybody has some sort of link into into anybody or we have you know with modern technology you could be on a on a zoom call or or a conference with some leader in in five minutes and you need to figure out who you are and where you sit and you also need to figure out what perhaps frustrates you you know for for me it's I don't want post-COVID-19, what is that going to look for us? Mental health is extremely important to me. I want to make sure anybody who's coming up the way I came up is is being welcomed. And that if you look at now with the European Union, male, pale and stale is, is still a phenomenon. There is not a lot of people with colour. There's not a lot of people with disability. There's not a lot of known um, LGBTQI members. And are you telling me we represent 500 million people do we really think no disrespect to men over over 55? Like, is this really who we are as, as a community base? And if you think that is, then great, keep voting the way you're doing or don't vote more than likely you're not voting. But if you want to actually see change and the system of error change, then you, you need to you need to get involved. You know, that's mm-hmm. it's it's very simple mathematics when you come to when you come to that point. Mm-hmm. It this really reflects our last podcast with Dr. Neve Kavanagh. She's an advocate for diversity and equality within STEM, and I'm an engineer myself, and it's quite tricky what we were talking about last week was we're encouraging more women people of color um lgbtqi disabilities within the stem community but then to create a safe space for them to feel wanted to feel safe that they can express their opinions and their ideas and i think in terms of the society that we are building for ourselves now the correlation between stem and and politics and policy is really important and i kind of like what we learned through sport Leah if she can't see she can't be and mm. if they can't see they can't be and I just find with all these wonderful podcasts we kind of come back to the same idea time in time out that if you can't see it you can't be it and we need to get more diversity and equality within these um, structures mm-hmm. well if you look at three of us are coming from extremely different backgrounds you know but we have a common thread of wanting to raise awareness for feminism for sport for 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 any podium that that we've talked about 
when you think about it in 10, 15 years time, if the people, the young women or boys coming down or coming behind us don't have like a Mary Robinson or a Mindy O'Sullivan or Spice Girls or Obama, like where are they going to get that seed or that take that inspiration if we are not carrying that torch of of the next steps like mm-hmm. that it, it it again sustainable cycle it doesn't the, the links can't break because if they do then nobody feeds into the next next generation and i that's the the main ethos i suppose of this podcast is to show that there are different pathways and that hopefully that people if we can plant one seed to one person that's listening to this podcast and influence them in a positive way then we're doing our, our job. <laughs> and, um, and you can't ask anymore. Yeah, exactly. We're doing our best. <laughs> so I suppose, Maria, with everything that you, you've you been through over the years, like moving to New York or being in, in Ireland, then moving to New York and then moving to Philadelphia and then obviously coming back for the Rose of Chile, then winning the Rose of Chile <laughs> uh, and then balancing that with working in Philadelphia and now uh, being part of the European Parliament. Did you ever feel that your family or any friends didn't support you during this process or during the journey no I no I I've, I've built a really good tribe I feel that would support you know my folks are extremely supportive two out of four uh, of us in in the Walsh household are LGBTQI so my dad had and my mom had bad odds from the get-go <laughs> but no we I I was I was I was taught to be, well, twofold. I was taught to be confident within my own abilities and my decisions and, and people will support that. And, and then I think I was born with an element of, of, of confidence. I think we all are. Um, but I have, I have great, a small circle of friends um, that I picked up in random spaces and places. Um, I think I had from a very young age played team sports um, so there's days where it goes well and there's days when you definitely didn't move fast enough and the goal went in the back of the net and it was definitely <laughs> your fault. Uh, but people picked you up by the jersey and said, get on with it. And all of those little isms kind of helped you build up. But no, I've been I've been so fortunate um, that my, my small circle has been supportive. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you this, um, there's certainly rooms I've walked into where the welcome wasn't as genuine mm-hmm. or as sincere as it probably should have been. And you don't have to go too far to dig deep too far online to find some sort of negative uh, mm. link to, to me or my name. And and that's a part of uh, being on the podium that I'm on. That's a part of, and I, and I, I say podium in, in the greatest sense of, of being humble about that because I was, I was gifted a, a, in 2014, a, a space to be me mm-hmm. um, and, and highlight that. And, and I try to keep it sacred since, but yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of naysayers out that where for my own mental health, I had to, slowly step by block be okay with blocking karate kick a few out of my <laughs> my my virtual space because it's just not it's just not healthy and yeah, yeah. Um, but that's a part of the social media world that we're in unfortunately mm-hmm. haters gonna hate so yeah say. and and to be honest with you i mean i came off the stage of the rose of tree and you know the crown and sash and the flowers <laughs> And and I came down and you're you're you know you're almost gifted back to your folks to say there go on take her, um, and my dad turned around going I cannot believe you talked about the farm, and he started giving out to me, and then I came back uh, and and I was really fortunate. True had a little homecoming, but you know one of the mornings we were, I was having a cup of tea and a few people came in to congratulate me even after I got elected. And dad goes, did you forget your hands there? Get up there and start making tea. So like the novelty of being the international rose. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Irish folks uh, who are very proud of you and support yeah. you 
we keep you very humble yeah. and <laughs> don't forget where you came from now <laughs> i got that all the time when i got my phd here doctor <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have to make a cuppa or yeah I get it all the time I totally understand <laughs> uh, that's the uh, that's Irish parents for you I think don't get too big for your boots now no, no. <laughs> I suppose at the mention of maybe some obviously with such positivity and stuff there is going to be that little bit of negativity and with everything that you've gone through what has kind of pushed you or motivated you to kind of just power through all of that and just keep going I guess uh, I guess hunger to to make some sort of something right uh, I, I, I don't mean to sound really um, vague in that but you know there's there's a drive in in me to look at issues like feminism and I mean we again back to sport you know how many times have we been asked uh, and you don't have to just play one sport in any sport been asked to get off a field because the other the other gender are showing up to do a light training session when we are getting ready for a county final mm. or you know how many times <laughs> one too have, many times yeah yeah and like i mean that sticks with you like mm. you know if we if we open up to it that that's that's really where feminism gets driven from and 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 you know my sexuality and growing up and figuring out who i am i'm really comfortable with who i am you know just drives another sense of what, what I'm trying to do right in the world and 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 equally I go back to that frustration of of walking up Broadway and having a conversation with my dad who's trying to keep a shirt in his back and after sending an invoice of 150,000 euro and you're thinking where where is this imbalance coming from you know I came from a great family I came from a great community my parents worked exceptionally hard why is it so so difficult for them to just put one foot in front of the other and I guess that's what really ignites and and builds me but also I'm extremely nosy and I love to challenge myself and when people say like you know nine of my ten friends saying well I don't know an MEP and I don't know what they do for me then that I think would motivate anybody to say right let's fix that wrong you know Mm -hmm. Well, we're coming to the end of the episode. <laughs> uh, well, sorry, because I think I really chatted there. No, girls. no, that was fantastic. No, no. <laughs> but the last question of the kind of, I suppose, serious questions, uh, inverted commas, what's next for Maria Walsh, MEP Maria Walsh? Oh, this is, you know, if you asked me pre-COVID, I'd be like, well, get my team <laughs> yeah. in place and doing all those jazz things. But no, for me, since COVID happened continuing to raise awareness and really talk about how we in the European Union and in the European Parliament as a whole we don't talk about mental health or look at mental health as a competency of the European Union it's a member state competency so what that means is it gets pushed back the the things that are very hard to fix with a bit of money and some legislation change almost gets pushed back to to the member state but we need to change that because mental health what we're learning in in COVID-19 affects everybody Mm -hmm. affects just as COVID goes through every border orientation, gender, everything, you name it, mental health is also doing the same. So we have a window now to really look at how we put support structures in there. So that that would be very big for me, as well as keeping young women like yourselves, making sure anything I can do from my job site as a politician that I can do to make sure a doctor can keep calling herself doctor and you can keep buying those really cool pairs of shoes and <laughs> that you have behind, that behind you there. But yeah, but I think that's so important. Uh, and then outside of all of that, there, there's always a good thing of challenge. So for me, I'm doing my green search uh, in agricultural management Ew. right now. Cool. Wow. So I'm due to finish in June 2021. So I started in September. So I'm in the middle of doing that. So after I finish this call, my immediate action is to go up and feed a baby lamb. 
That is what I'm doing right now. Thank yeah, you. so so that's me. Fantastic. Don't put any woman in a in a box. No, no. they go around and they just kick the boxes. So yeah, yeah. don't exactly. be doing that. That's trouble. We we draw outside the box. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic, and all the more power to you. And you seem to be heading in an, an amazing direction. You've been on an incredible journey so far, and it, from the sounds of things, it's only going to get better from here. Post oh. post COVID <laughs> for everybody. Post COVID will come. We just yes. got to make sure we're. We like we're, everyone's we're, we're life. Just... We're ready for it than we were when it started. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think everyone's life has just been hit pause during this COVID situation. But I, for one, am excited for when it's all over for, for yourself, for myself, for Fee, for everyone. So, yeah, excited to see what you do as MEP. Um, well, likewise to the two of you. I'm excited <laughs> to see what comes out of what comes out of this time. Yeah. Where you can get- I'm growing a strawberry plant. <laughs> so I'm hoping to have strawberries <laughs> at the end of COVID-19. Nice. I'm expecting you like the Wexford strawberries to be selling on the middle, uh, on the on the side of the road. Keep it traditional there. Nothing beats Wexford strawberries. I am no. from Wexford, yeah, so no. they're not Wexford strawberries. I apologise, Leah. You gotta get, you gotta get Wheelocks. Wheelocks is the best. <laughs> okay, so we kind of finish it. We finish off the episode with some kind of fun quick fire questions. Oh no! Okay, let me sit get, up straight here. Then. Ready now. So three people dead or alive that you would like to have over for dinner that are alive, dead, um, dead or alive. Oh, dead or alive. Uh, Robin Williams. Oh, great choice. To talk oh. about comedy and mental health. Oh, great um, choice. Samantha, Samantha Power for for her work in being a native Irish person I, and absolutely stealing. I thought you were going to say Samantha Mumba, but you know. Don't oh, no. no, Samantha Power. Um, uh, I have no words to say about Samantha Mumba quite yet, but I'm trying iconic. to Iconic. Classic. Yeah, iconic. And then I would... To keep my feet on the ground, I would say my cousin Maura McCaffrey, who who recently passed away, but oh. who who introduced me to books like Chicken Soup for the Women's Soul mm-hmm. and Dixie oh, yeah. so opened opened my eyes up to a lot of feminism before I even knew it was feminism. Mm-hmm. So they're, awesome, they're my three. They're great. They're a great three. I mean, you didn't have Samantha Mumba in there, but I didn't. I'm really <laughs> sorry about that. We'll let that slide. <laughs> Can we tell her what we learned last week, Leah? You don't, don't put this in the podcast. So we did a quiz with our friends last week, Maria, and one of our friends, Rona, she's gas ticket. She, her round that she was asking was Celebrity Scandal. And she played us a clip of someone like ripping the back off Twink yeah. and saying she would know talent if it came at her out of a paper bag. And yeah. I wasn't spotted by her. Who does she think she is? And Rona was like, who said that? And we were all looking at each other going, I don't know. I don't know anyone that like Twink gets into fights or whatever, but the, Samantha Mumba. <laughs> <laughs> she completely ripped the back off Twink on like oh, the late. It's so funny. Like, yeah. It's so funny. I'm She's like, to- I'd never work with her ever again. It's like, yes, oh my God. I, I need to, I need to find I need to find this recording. Oh, Chill. it's so good. Rona <laughs> to send it on and we'll send it on. I'm sure she you is- can YouTube. I know it was a like, thing. Yeah, she did the quote or whatever, and then she was like, "The answer is even better than the quote." <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. And then when she, like, we did- I wouldn't, even, I wouldn't even know. No. Like, I mean, Twink would say that, not someone about yeah, Twink. Twink to be kind of putting herself in those situations. Yeah. We, knew, we all nearly fell off our chairs when she said that is Samantha Mumble. Nuts. I mean, yeah. still Ireland's angel, in my opinion. <laughs> Fun fact. <laughs> so okay. So next question: What is your favorite quote or mantra to live by? 
Well, I have two quotes uh, tattooed on my arms. One is, uh, the trouble is you think you have time. So mm-hmm. it's like that carpe diem sees the day. And then another is, here's to those who inspire us and don't even know it. Um, oh, I, I would have worked one. on the uh, the conference around um, honoring the women that were in the Magdalene laundries in 20, I think it was 2018. And I got that quickly after that because I thought, wow, these women don't, and many people that we know just don't even realize the seeds that they plant or the inspiration yeah. they bring. So they're, they're the two. I also would recommend, there's a gorgeous poem called Self-Portrait by David White. Okay. And if you haven't checked it out, check it out. It's, it's a lovely, respectful way of talking to one another. Okay. It's a little bit too long for me to get tattooed on my arm, but you're <laughs> listen, life, COVID, make, COVID makes us do crazy things. Plus, I promised my mum I wouldn't get a tattoo for another while. So once once my period of waiting is over, then I'm going to go out and get another one. I really like those quotes, the, especially the, the middle one. Oh, here's to those who inspire us. Yeah. 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 Leah always talks about unsung heroes and um, mm. heroes. You, have you a term for it? Um, I don't know. I can't remember. I say so many things. So many Dude. inspiring things I say. <laughs> Local heroes, I think. Is that Local what heroes. That's gorgeous. Local heroes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I really, I really resonate because there's loads of people that I, that inspire me that definitely don't know that they've inspired me kind of thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so those are, those are two very good quotes. I like them. So knowing what you know now, what would you say to yourself 10 years ago? Absolutely hard question. Um, knowing what I know now, what would I say to myself 10 years ago? I would say go out dancing stay up late you don't have to figure everything out in your 20s like it's actually okay to have this little thing called fun because by the time you turn 30 you're 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 so lost in that personal aspect of yourself that you can identify only to work so that's what I would say awesome I I, and pray harder that may win the (laughs) all-Ireland light a candle do everything yeah (laughs) Put the Mary Magdalene statue out there. Put it out there, the child of Prague with her. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Might be a while yet before poor old Mayo. But we'll hold that up. (laughs) So one last thought before we sign off. What would you say to someone that's teetering on the edge of a decision or a big decision? What life advice would you give them? Uh, You know, I was talking to my team about this question earlier on today in our team huddle that we do every day at check-in and it's so hard because you're trying to say things in five words that people can digest but mm-hmm. I hate I grew up in a world where you're thinking you can do it and uh, for years I spent this this time of distaste towards those sentences because I'm like they're so commercialized and advertised and all that jazz but mm-hmm. an actual fact we need we need to stop allowing people to inhibit our way of thinking mm-hmm. and we need to stop allowing people or expectations that we place on ourselves to to keep us in a box that we have outgrown or we don't belong in or or we've moved on from and I think that is what I would recommend people to do we we need to move beyond what we think we should be doing and actually just use COVID-19 time to make that list that I made something similar in 20, 2018 a couple of years back and wrote out when I wrote down the things that I was passionate about and the things that I weren't and it's okay to accept the things you're not um but but start making time for the things you are passionate about and everything I think as we said at the start of the call nothing is linear everything is chaotic mm-hmm. and and we have to accept that and that's where we find our true selves mm-hmm. and isn't life a lot more interesting because of it you're here because a straight line is boring <laughs> yeah. amazing so i guess just before we sign off where can people find you and if there's anything that you want to plug socials or if there's any kind of 
particular event although a lot of events aren't happening right now but if there's well, anything on, on on all Ireland final day for May <laughs> you'll find me in Crow Park uh, uh sitting in in the Hogan stand with my head in my hands but no I kid uh on social media you'll find me at Maria Walsh EU and that's across all my my social platforms but equally just check out the European Parliament or most importantly if you see me in your community or town or village throughout Ireland I just cannot stress enough how much I love to have the chats with people mm-hmm. and and as Leah you said talk to some local heroes I think that's where you, you keep your feet on the ground and and your eyes clear of of what you what change you want to make in the world so just come up and say hello. Maria Walsh thank you very much. Thank you for thanks for having me. I know this was a while in the making, so I'm delighted. Uh, I'm delighted I made it into your your hard list of getting on to. Um, and I hope and I hope I wasn't too long winded. No, you were no. fantastic, and there was I think there was a lot to take from from what you said. I definitely personally took a lot from it, and I think our listeners will as well. I think it will be a very good episode. And thank you so much for coming on to our, our very humble podcast that we have. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, I love it. I love it, the whole philosophy of it. The identity of his brain. Thank you. And I suppose it was, me personally, it was fantastic to find out things that I didn't know. Like, I didn't know you had kind of a media production background. But thank you anyway, Maria, for being on our podcast. We've been delighted to have you on and chat to you and get to know much more about you and your journey. So with that, uh, oh, thank you. we're going to sign off and say goodbye. Thanks very ah. much. And give me a shout. Anything I can help out with or, or promote or push, just just let me know. Always always here to help. Thanks very much for including me. Appreciate it. On Lil! On Lil! On Lil! I love that. we'll check everyone in our next episode of next gen fem thank you very much guys bye 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 girls